The following podcast is a presentation of Project Entertainment Network. Welcome to the Sample Chapter Podcast, the show where authors read a sample chapter from one of their books. Here's your host, Jason A. Meiske. Greetings, my friends, and a very special hello to all of you out there who may be checking out the show for the first time. I have a feeling there's a few of you out there. And so to one and all, I say welcome to the Sample Chapter Podcast, this show where authors read a sample chapter from one of their books. And oh my goodness, do we have an exciting guest for you today. As if I even need to say, right? I mean, like you didn't see the name on the episode title. <laughs> Lou Diamond Phillips is my incredible guest today. And yes, he is doing a reading. <laughs> I am just so thrilled to share this episode with you as we discuss uh, how he found the silver lining behind COVID, you know, which allowing him to concentrate on on finishing this book, uh, how writing is editing, how his background as a screenwriter came into effect with the book, his incredible backstory as a wannabe writer as a kid, so many things, and yet through it all, I somehow managed to resist the urge to, you know, not gush over young guns from my high school days and, uh, you know, and or even talk about too much about uh, one of my personal favorite movies, which was uh, Disorganized Crime. It's an underappreciated gem. If you haven't seen that, you got to check it out. It's an amazing cast. But <laughs> but movies aside, it's a great conversation and we, we keep it pretty focused on the writing aspect, which, man, I tell you what, Lou Diamond Phillips, he knows his stuff. And, uh, and you're in for a treat today. I'm, I'm really, really excited about this episode. So all of that's coming up here in just a few moments. So make sure you stay tuned for that. Uh, don't forget to follow the show on social media. Just look up the Sample Chapter Podcast in that search bar. Or you can go to our website at www.samplechapterpodcast.com and click the direct links there. And of course, as always, while I do appreciate ratings and reviews on your favorite podcast player, what I really like is when listeners share their favorite episodes, you know, because you're finding a new author, a new favorite book, and I really love it whenever people are sharing those favorite episodes with friends. So make sure you tag the show on social media, wherever it is you're sharing that, tag the show so that I can thank you myself in an upcoming episode. And of course, if you'd like to contact the show, you can do so through email at samplechapterpodcast at gmail.com or leave me a voicemail at 660-851-1146. And now I want to take a moment and thank my sponsors and podcast friends, starting with Scrivener, the absolute best writing software made for writers by writers, and it's the writing software I use every day with my own writing. And, you know, it's for those of you who've been following the show, you know my, my own personal struggles, especially this year, trying to get my second book done. I've been working on it, gosh, going on two years now, almost two years that I've been uh, working on this, trying to finish those edits. And man, I really hope to have that book out by now. But it's nice to know that no matter where I am and what I'm doing, I can pull up Scrivener and there's my book. And you know, when inspiration strikes and I, I realize I need to work on one of my other books, it's in there as well. Everything's broken down by chapters. I can move things around. I have my character bios. I have uh, all my information uh, about everything I need in the book is right there. 
That corkboard allows you to move things around. You can move chapters around that, that work or don't work, or maybe something doesn't fit anymore. And of course, you can always save those changes separately from your original manuscript, so that way, maybe something didn't work out, but you can flip back to the way you had it before. So many great things. Hey, check out this advertisement for Scrivener, and make sure you're paying attention to that coupon code so you can save 20% on the regular desktop version. Jason here. Hey, I wanted to take a moment and tell you about my favorite writing tool, Scrivener. Now, I know you've heard about Scrivener because their writing software has been embraced by hundreds of thousands of other writers like you and I, from the novice to best-selling novelists. The reason we all use it is because of Scrivener's core concept to bring all the writing tools you use together in a single application. And with tools like automatic backup, character maps, project goals, and let's not forget that amazing corkboard, you can see why I use Scrivener every day. As a bonus for Sample Chapter Podcast listeners, use code CHAPTER for 20% off your desktop version. Scrivener Writing Software, built by writers for writers. And I want to thank my other sponsor, UStoreAll, out of Warrensburg, Missouri. With two locations and climate control at both locations, they are the premier self-storage facility in the Warrensburg area. Both locations are fully fenced in, Gated access, you'll have your own private gate code, 24-hour video surveillance on more than 60 cameras, and all-night lighting with LED lighting. So this is a very clean and green, and I can say it's green because they are solar-powered. Hey, check them out online at ustoral.net. That is spelled U-S-T-O-R-A-L-L.net. Or give them a call, and uh, you know, make sure you tell that manager, Mike, that uh, Jason said hi. Now I want to take a second and thank Pop Goes the Culture Network, my first podcast network that I became a part of about a year and a half ago. bunch of great shows over there, about uh, 10 or 12 in all, all of them pop culture related. Whether you're interested in movies, TV, the clothing, the toys, <laughs> everything, anything pop culture related from the 70s, 80s, and 90s, it's all in there, including current events, current movie events so you know you want to talk star wars or maybe even the latest marvel movies you know when is james bond ever going to come out again <laughs> it's all there at pop goes the culture including their flagship show pop goes the culture podcast which airs every friday morning but i want you to click that link in the show notes so you can get over and find out how to interact with them on thursday nights when they record their episodes lastly i want to thank project entertainment network home to more than 35 shows on the network. I mean, literally, anything you have an interest in, I think they have a show for it. There's baseball, there's horror, there's writers, there's book reviews, there's getting opinions on stuff, there's faith-based podcasts. The list goes on and on and on. Even some fantastic storytelling podcasts over there. It's all available to you. And I want you to check them all out. But hey, listen to this advertisement for one of those amazing shows on the Project Entertainment Network. Armcast. Dead Sexy Podcasts. I'm your host, Armand Rosamilia. Fridays exclusively on Project Entertainment Network, where I interview authors, publishers, editors, artists, filmmakers, narrators, the lady from Walmart, whoever I feel like talking to. 
That's every Friday, Armcast, right here on Project Entertainment Network. Yes, indeed. Thank you so much, Armand. I really love that show. It's one of my favorites at the network, and uh, it's one I think you're going to like as well. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it is time for me to close this up and get on over to what everybody is really waiting for. Our interview with the one and only Lou Diamond Phillips. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Sample Chapter Podcast. Oh my gosh, today I have got a very special guest. Uh, My guest really needs no introduction. He's an award-winning actor with movies like La Bamba, Young Guns, Stargate Universe, Longmire, and now Prodigal Son. With more than 30 years of experience and recently used his screenwriting experience to write his debut novel, The Tinderbox, Soldier of Indira. It is with great pleasure that I welcome to the show Lou Diamond Phillips. Mr. Phillips, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you so much, Jason. Thanks for having me, man. It's a, it's funny. Whenever I listen to an introduction, it just makes me tired. <laughs> <laughs> 30 years. It's like, holy moly. Yeah, I've been at this for a while. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I remember I was in high school when La Bamba came out, and it just you just kind of came out of nowhere, and suddenly everybody was like, oh, man, I want to be just like this guy. It's like Lou, I want to, everybody, you know, La Bamba was a huge hit again, and, and it just kind of took over the world. Yeah, I was really fortunate, and I did come out of nowhere, really. I mean, I was, I was unknown. I didn't have any huge credits. Uh, you know, I had a degree in theater. I, I was working very consistently uh, in the Dallas-Fort Worth film industry and uh, the live theater, you know, uh, uh, scene, uh, and uh, teaching acting, actually, with Adam Rourke at the uh, Film Actors Lab in Las Colinas. They're just outside of Dallas. Uh, so, you know, I mean, it was my dream. It was obviously my career. It's what I was doing. It's not like they found me in a soda shop in a tight t-shirt, but, uh, you know, it, uh, it was, it was definitely a huge break and, uh, went to Hollywood after that and, uh, you know, never looked back. <laughs> well, uh, first I should check in with you. I want to make sure that you're, you're doing well, you're coping with the pandemic and uh, staying healthy. Yeah. You know, uh, really fortunate. Uh, I mean, uh, I'm in New York city right now never got a chance to go back to Los Angeles this summer. Uh, my wife, Yvonne, who did the illustrations for uh, uh, the Tinderbox and uh, was really the inspiration for it all. I mean, she, you know, her, her ideas and her artistry are, are what uh, started this whole thing going. But um, we were filming uh, the season of Prodigal Son when COVID hit and we got the rug pulled out from under us like everybody else. And, uh, you know, we suspended production, did not film uh, two of the episodes. Fortunately, we had actually filmed the episodes out of order. So uh, people who are fans of Prodigal Son got a, a legitimate season ender, you know, <laughs> fortunately. Um, and, and so, uh, you know, we, we kind of hunkered down and weathered the worst of it here in New York City, but then realized there was just no point in going back to Los Angeles. Um, and now, uh, you know, uh, with our season two pickup, fortunately, uh, we'll be uh, starting filming again in a month and, you know, knock wood uh, that it all goes well uh, and that we don't get, uh, you know, we don't get uh, uh, the plug pulled again. So, you know, we'll see. I mean, everybody hopefully is uh, opening up slowly and uh, smartly and doing the right thing uh, so that we can all get past this. Yeah, yeah. Well, the the book Tinderbox was announced, uh, I think, around November of last year. So was it a little bit of a silver lining that suddenly you've got some free time to work on this? You know, it's funny that you mentioned that. But yeah, it's true. I mean, uh, 
Uh, literally, when it got announced, I, I got I got notes from the editor, uh, uh, Rhett C. Bruno, uh, you know, a, a very accomplished author in his own right, uh, and the uh, the publisher of uh, Athon Books. So I got all of his notes, uh, and um, you know, it, it's it's taken a long time to get to this point. I mean, it took probably eight years, you know, for me to write the novel, uh, and that's mainly because my day job kept working out. <laughs> you know, I, I'd have to act and then go do a TV show or a movie or whatever. Uh, and I, I would literally write in my spare time. Um, but when uh, uh, when Athon picked up the book in November and it was announced, I immediately started working on on the uh, the uh, the notes for the edit. And I, I would have a uh, a pad with me on set and the computer in my dressing room. So I jot down notes and I go back in between setups and scenes and you know type a little bit in. Mm -hmm. uh, and then all of a sudden, when uh, yeah, when uh, COVID hit. I had I had nothing else to do, man. I sat at home and I really, really dug in and uh, was able to give 100 percent of my attention to to the rewrites and the edits on the book, which, you know, like you said, I mean, is this over line? At least I had something to do. I wasn't twiddling my fingers. Uh, but as a result, I think that, um, you know, uh, the improvements to the book, the uh, 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 fresh look at it. You know, all of that. I mean, you know, most writers go that, you know, writing is editing. And that's, you know, mm. that was really interesting to go back and really, uh, you know, knuckle down and, and uh, pay very close attention to to the nuance and to the plot of the characters. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yes. Yes. Uh, so much of that. I'm just totally agreeing with it's my own most recent book. I wrote it in just a couple of months, just pouring it out. But I've spent over a year now. I'm still editing, still putting it together and making sure I've got the threads correctly. And it's, you got to have that time to, to do that. Absolutely. You know, and, and, uh, and it's interesting because, you know, I mean, as you mentioned before, uh, I am a screenplay writer and a lot of times those will go very quickly uh, because I spend a lot of time marinating, you know, like when I'm <laughs> developing a character as an actor, you know, I, I think through it a lot, you know, in, in my mind before I ever get to it. Um, and uh, so that, 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 being able to get back and, and uh, uh, really just go over it. And, and uh, even though this isn't really, you know, hugely plot driven, I mean, in, in a way it is uh, because it's, a, you know, there, there's a prophecy to it. And uh, uh, it was, it was, I think, brushing up on my narrative skills. I mean, like, like, you know, like we said, I've written screenplays and I had to get back to a different format, a, a different way of telling the story. And, and, uh, you know, I mean, I made a lot of freshman mistakes, you know, head hopping and, Point of view and all of that, and, and uh, you know, Rhett was very helpful with that. But but just going back and and uh, you know, uh, sanding down the rough edges, if you will. Yeah, yeah. So, and I was going to ask then how the if the screenwriting came into play, if it, if it did help, and it sounds like it was a, a nice backdrop to be able to refer back to, like, nope, don't go there. Let's stick with this. <laughs> well, it's interesting because uh, I need to back up to the whole origin of everything. Uh, when my wife Yvonne and I first started dating and we're getting to know each other, she was reading a lot of my writing, uh, mostly screenplays, and um, I was looking at these amazing drawings that that Yvonne does. Uh, and you know, her her I think wheelhouse was this sort of German woodcut, uh, almost old fashioned, you know, fairy tale kind kind of treatment of of a lot of uh, the subjects, which is you know what she learned from growing up in Germany. Uh, her grandmother would tell her a story and then tell her, you know, to go draw it. Mm -hmm. And and so, you know, a lot of her influences were Hans Christian Andersen and, uh, you know, the Grimm's fairy tales and, and that sort of thing. Uh, but she had done this series of anime because like in the 90s, she was way off into anime. 
And she had done a whole series of anime drawings inspired by Hans Christian Andersen's The Tinderbox. Mm -hmm. And I saw those, and I, and I think they were the beginnings of, of what she had hoped to be a, a graphic novel at some point. I mean, she was way ahead of the curve. You know, there's manga and there's graphic novels and all <laughs> yeah. this stuff that's happening now. She was into that in the 90s. I mean, she's a real geek. You know, she's a real <laughs> nerd. She'd be the first one to tell you. Uh, and, and I saw these drawings, and I went, oh, my gosh, that's, that's like a post-apocalyptic fairy tale kind of neat story. And, you know, I stole it from her. I just ran with it. I said, <laughs> Let's make a movie because that's what I do. Yeah. And I wrote the screenplay. And, and when I when I finished the screenplay, I thought there's nobody in the world that's going to give me enough money to make this, you know, <laughs> because I direct as well. I'll be directing an episode of Prodigal Son coming up uh, this, this season. Um, and it's, you know, something that I had hoped that we would do together. And I thought this is just too expensive, man. I mean, it's, you know, it's in Star Wars territory. It's an avatar territory. I can't, you know, I, I, I can't uh, go out and pitch this and hope to, to get the gig. So my manager, J.B. Roberts, actually said, well, listen, you were you know, thinking about writing a book about it anyway. Why don't you do that first? And so that's what I did is I reverse engineered the screenplay into the novel. And what's interesting is that the novel took on a life of its own. Uh, it needed to be a book and not just a transcription of a screenplay. Mm. So fortunately, the dialogue was all pretty solid. The images I already had in my head, and it was just a matter of describing them, uh, but once you get into the minds of the characters, once you get into the backstory, once you get into all of that stuff that is not necessarily a part of a screenplay, because a screenplay is a blueprint for the cinematographer to take some cues and the production designer to take cues and actors and everybody else. There's all this collaboration in the novel. You know, I had to create the world completely. And, and that was a, that was a real challenge, but also a, a, a real joy because, you know, that's that's what I was trying to do is, is to create this world and, and have authorship of it, so to speak, so that, you know, if they buy it out from under me and Spielberg wants to direct, then at least <laughs> I've established the world, you know? Well, that's awesome, though. And it's really fascinating because it's all the authors I talk to, there's always, you know, it's like, well, I had a dream and I couldn't get it out of my head and I started writing it down and or that's... Um, you know, something from real life, you saw somebody acting a certain way and you started thinking to yourself, well, why, I wonder why they're acting like that. Oh, it's, they're on a mission for this or that. So, and here you are, you built this book out of a picture that your wife made and I, it's incredible. And like you said before, it took you eight years and I can't tell you how many authors I've had on here, uh, independent and traditional, but all of them say the same kind of things like eight to 10 years for that first book. Yeah. And it, it's fascinating to hear even uh, for you yourself, it still took that time to get that first one done. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm the other the one thing I want to mention really quickly is that, you know, Yvonne has done 30 new illustrations for the book. Uh, uh, and, and so once again, it got reverse engineered. Her original drawings inspired the book. And now the book, you know, uh, has inspired Yvonne to, to create a, a very specific tailor-made set of illustrations, you know, for this novel. And she wasn't always happy about it because, <laughs> uh, you know, it, 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 like I said before, uh, um, she's a sci-fi nerd and geek, but that's not what she draws. Uh, and what we uh, what we have is this wonderful, I think, hybrid, like the book is, of uh, kind of the old school, um, you know, woodcut, you know, effect drawings meets kind of uh, this metropolis uh, retro sci-fi, you know, approach. Uh, and, and a little bit of graphic novel thrown in. So, so uh, they're, they're really unique and they're really fun. Uh, and I think that, you know, what a lot of other authors have, have talked to you about, 
that I should make a point of as well. And that, you know, has come up on Twitter has come up, you know, I mean, everybody thinks, Oh, you know, you're Lou Diamond Phillips, you know, you're a well-known actor. Uh, you know, of course somebody's going to publish your book. I got a stack of rejection letters, man. <laughs> you know, seriously. Yeah. I, I, uh, um, had a friend who, who submitted to a couple of places, got rejection letters. The agent I have now submitted it to a bunch of places, you know, and, and, and it's, um, you know, and I have to say Craig Johnson, uh, the author of the Longmire Mysteries, uh, who's a dear friend, you know, he was the first person to encourage me after having read the first chapter when we were doing the series. But, you know, he also tried to, you know, exercise a little influence. And, and you know, when it got turned down a few places, he goes, listen, man, don't give up. It'll land on the right desk. And that's, you know, I took that to heart because it's like not everything you write is for everybody and not everybody's going to get it. Uh, and, and so you have to have the tenacity and you have to dis have to have the discipline to 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 stick with it. And you have to believe in your own talent and what you've done. And and for me, um, you know, I think it's important for people to know that, you know, I didn't make a phone call. And next thing I, you know, I'm a published author. Uh, I I took a journey just like everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. What's incredible about it is it, this is a work of fiction, uh, which you don't see very often from Hollywood, uh, where, where actors are putting out uh, books of fiction. I know there are some here and there, but usually it's it's a memoir of my life. And, you know, and that always gets picked up. Somebody wants to hear about that. But to have a fiction, let alone a sci-fi like you wrote, I mean, I, I think that's incredible. It, why, why did you go the sci-fi route? Was it because of the direction it felt from that picture? Yeah, I mean, when when I look back at at uh, Yvonne's original uh, drawings, you know, there was there was definitely this sort of, and because it was it was anime uh, uh, manga, you know, it's it's it, uh, it had an Asian flair to it, uh, which you know, when you look at Star Wars, that's exactly you know a, a lot of touchstones that you know George Lucas used, um, you know, uh, the the sort of sensei kind of. Uh, um, samurai feel to, to a lot of the costumes and a lot of the production design. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so when I was looking at it, you know, I automatically, you know, was, was thinking in terms of cinema. I was thinking in terms of a screenplay. Uh, and at the time, this was pre game of Thrones, by the way, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> so at the time, um, fantasy was not as big as it is today. Uh, but what was big still, you know, was sci-fi mm -hmm. was, uh, uh, you know, star Wars was avatar even the Stargates. And I, uh, uh, I remember I did some of the writing on the screenplay while I was still in the Stargate universe. So in looking at what was going to probably be more marketable on a film level, you know, it seemed appropriate to go after, you know, the sci-fi aspect of the movie. Um, it wasn't intended ever to be a pure sci-fi, you know, kind of film. I mean, it needed to retain its, its fairy tale uh, roots. And, you know, when you read the book, you will see that there, there is a, a very large homage uh, to, uh, to Hans Christian Andersen's original you know, short story, which was a fairy tale, a fable. Uh, there are dogs. There is a tree. There is a witch. You know, all of that is a direct lift. But I kind of extrapolated them and given them a, a totally different feel um, and, and set them in a different world. And what we have now is is you know this sort of we like to call it a science fantasy because because it it still retains a lot of the fairy tale roots uh the interesting thing too is that you know uh it's it's categorized as a ya and i went oh really okay <laughs> great wonderful yeah I, I love it uh you know and it's and it's because the the, the heroes you know are uh, you know uh, everson um 
uh, our young hero is 19 years old and uh, Allegra, the princess, is, uh, you know, uh, 17 or maybe 18. I can't remember. But, uh, you know, so so automatically it's this Romeo Juliet story, which puts it into the YA world, which, you know, uh, that's great. I mean, I didn't set out to write a sci-fi novel. I didn't set out to write uh, a YA novel. Uh, it, mm -hmm. I, I set out to tell the story. And then, you know, the categorization came later. Yeah. Yeah. And that, gosh, that happens so much where you're just telling the story and yeah, you find out later like, oh, wow, it's a sci-fi with a uh, YA in there. And I mean, it'll, it's going to literally open up a whole new world for you. <clears throat> oh, absolutely. And you know, I mean, I still hope the movie happens one of these days. Absolutely. Yes. Well, now I guess uh, the question everybody's going to want to know is, will there be more? Do you have sequels in mind? Um, I don't have sequels in mind. Uh, I have sequels on my computer. <laughs> it, uh, I already started. I've, I've already started. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, for a long time, we thought, oh, okay, there, you know, uh, there could be a sequel to this and whatever. And I have to say that, that um, you know, like I got encouragement from, from Craig Johnson early on. I got encouragement from my friend Chris Bojellian, who's an amazing author and New York Times bestseller, uh, multiple, multiple times. Uh, and, and sort of nothing exceeds like, you know, positive reinforcement. And a lot of the advance uh, reviews for the Tinderbox Soldier of Adira have been very, very positive. Uh, and the reception has been very warm. And, and it's not just the writing, it's the world. A lot of uh, reviewers uh, and a lot of people who have read it uh, really embrace the world and, and, and uh, appreciate, you know, uh, the setting of all of this and said they would they would like to revisit it. Well, that's all I needed to hear. <laughs> you know? um, and and there, there were there were a thumbnail sketch of an idea of a conflict, um, you know, that, that has been on my mind for, uh, I don't know, uh, a year, year and a half now, you know, since doing the edits. But I have to say, once again, it was Yvonne. Yvonne came up with the story for the sequel. Uh, and, and out of left field, uh, it's not something that I was considering. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and she would, she said, well, what about this? And it was like, oh my gosh, it's like <laughs> you flipped on the light bulb. I went, yeah, that's it. You know? And, and, um, so yeah, I've been, uh, I've been working on the, uh, on the sequel and, uh, it's, it's already in the works and, uh, you know, hopefully we'll see that you know, sometime next year. Now that I've created all of this and now that I've, you know, I've kind of, uh, you know, had, had uh, uh, a, a steep learning curve on the first book. Uh, hopefully the second one won't take eight years. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I just got my uh, the download this morning from Hannah, and uh, I'm looking forward to the rest of my afternoon splitting up my time between editing and reading that and sitting down with a cigar and, and uh, reading it. So I'm, I'm well, looking forward to diving into it. Because, I mean, that's what a lot of the writing that I'll do is, I, you know, I'll take the dime in New York City. Uh, so for the last year, I'll take a cigar and the dog and go sit <laughs> on a park bench and just sit there and think, you know. And, yeah. and it actually, it's, it, it proves to be a, a really lovely little think tank, you know, with that cigar. I'd say, hey, you know what? There you go, brother. <laughs> We're on the same page, so to speak. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, do you see this being... Um a new part of your, your career, a new part of your life going forward with not just uh, the tinderbox, but uh, maybe other books. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because, uh, um, and I go back to the story every once in a while, when I was about 13 years old growing up in Texas uh, and my dad, you know, uh, grew up most of his life in North Carolina and is a transplanted Texan now, you know, as, as good Navy middle-class, you know, dads will do, you know, he said, son, uh, 
what would you like to do for a living? <laughs> you know, and, and I remember I first told him, I said, well, I want to be a writer. And uh, he goes, well, I was thinking, you know, you might want to do something where you might make a little more money. <laughs> you know? So I went off and I thought about it. And about a year later, I came back and said, yeah, I want to be an actor. <laughs> goes, well, that's not really what I had in mind. But, you know, he was very supportive of all the years. But, um, yeah, my first instinct as a kid was to be a writer. And, you know, I, I wrote plays in high school. I wrote plays in college. Uh, I wrote my first, well, I wrote a very, very bad novel in high school that was the Stephen King ripoff. <laughs> Uh, that that uh, will never be revisited. But I did write, you know, kind of my Richard Bach, Jonathan Livingston Seagull illusions kind of uh, book in college. And, and that was one of the first things that Yvonne ever read. So that one is worth, I think, revisiting at some point. But yeah, um, as I'm becoming a little more, I think, um, picky when it comes to acting roles uh, uh, and, and, you know, hopefully having a little more time as time goes on, uh, I, I do want to get back to the writing. I, do, I, I have, uh, through this process of writing the Tinderbox, really fallen in love with, with the process again. Uh, it's, it's incredibly gratifying. And, and, I, and I view it as part of the same creative tree. You know, when people say, what do you prefer? Do you doing, prefer doing theater or movies or TV? And when I direct, it's like, would you rather direct than act? It's like, no. I mean, I consider myself a storyteller and a communicator. Mm-hmm. And, and they're all branches of the same uh, creative tree to me. And uh, they're, they're, they're just different, uh, different platforms and different venues for t- telling stories and making observations on life and humanity and all that good stuff. Yeah, yeah. No, I can understand that. It's, that was my lifelong dream was to write. And I remember going back to school was the same thing. I wanted to be a writer. And it wasn't until I found out I was going to be a grandpa that I found I was like, oh, gosh, I'm letting life get away. Dude, and I'm looking at right, right now. now. There's no way you're a grandpa. Look at what are you guys starting early over there? <laughs> a little bit, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm I'm about to hit 50, and I've got four grandkids right now. So wow. <clears throat> so yeah, but then I started doing this show as well, and it, it there's times where I'm like, oh, maybe I should just do one or the other. And I'm like, no, you know, I really enjoy doing both. It's I love. Uh, doing the show and talking to authors and says you can't have it all, man. Exactly. Know? Yeah. I mean, got, as long as you got the time, the inclination and the, and the energy, you know, exactly. You know, all your bliss, follow your passion. That's what I tell people. <laughs> well, if, uh, if one of these days we see, uh, Lou Diamond Phillips, the memoir, what would be the title of that? Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, and it depends on my mood. Whether I'm being really cynical <laughs> about the industry or, or whether I'm, uh, you know, uh, listen, I'm, I'm a very contented person, uh, but at the same time, I'm also very ambitious. You know, I, I, uh, I have at this point in my life won four lifetime achievement awards, and I've said the exact same thing every time. It's like, I'm not done, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and, and uh, it kind of blows my mind because, I mean, a, a few people of my generation have written memoirs, and I thought, wow, that's, uh, you know, it seems like you're jumping the gun to me. Uh, you know, I, I kind of like, you know, the Kirk Douglas approach, you know, I'm going to do it when I'm 90. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, you know, the statute of limitations will have run out in a bunch of states and <laughs> I won't embarrass certain <laughs> people, you know, we'll, we'll be beyond embarrassment at that point. Um, but uh, uh, I don't know, man, that's, you know, I don't know if it'll ever get written. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know. I, I just don't know. Luckiest guy in the world. I don't know. Something like that. You know, <laughs> but, fair uh, to say. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, obviously, beyond TV and the movies, where can uh, people find and follow you to learn more about the book? 
Well, uh, I am on Twitter. I'm not on any other social media. I, I understand that there's a couple of, uh, uh, you know, uh, faux Lou Diamond Phillips out there, you know, some cubic zirconiums, if you will, uh, <laughs> you know, which is really bizarre. It's like, wow, you guys are really bored. You're pretending to be me? That's, uh, ugh, you know, you got better things to do. Or, you know, maybe do somebody a little more dynamic, man, you know, pretend to be Kim Kardashian. I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, uh, <laughs> you know, um, but I am on Twitter uh, at, at Lou D. Phillips, Loud Phillips. That's me. Uh, my wife, Yvonne, uh, is uh, on Twitter um, as well. Look her up. But she also has her Instagram, which is uh, specifically devoted to her artwork. Uh, and it's amazing. She's got a following uh, from all over the world. Some amazing, beautiful uh, you know, uh, artists out there. Uh, who created this artist community of which she is a part. Uh, and uh, getting ready to start the second season of Prodigal Son very, very soon. You know, um, And I believe we don't have uh, an air date yet, but uh, you know, because, because of everybody's schedules uh, on network television uh, now, you know, everything got pushed back. So I think we're going to start seeing new episodes in January. Great. Fantastic. Well, everybody, we're, of course, we're going to have uh, links for all that. And uh, of course, the, uh, the Amazon links for Tinderbox and, everything else for how to find Lou and uh, for Yvonne. Well, I'll make sure and have her Instagram uh, links on there too. So you can see more of her, her artwork and uh, gosh, I, I just, I'm just blown away. This has been so much fun and uh, just getting to sit and talk with you. And uh, hopefully one of these days uh, things will settle down. We'll have some conventions and I'll have to come and find you so I can get my physical copy of the book signed. Done. Absolutely. I, I, you know, I, I've done conventions a lot and I love the interaction with the fans and uh, you know, on Twitter, a lot of people have been asking about how to get a signed copy of the book. And it's like, wow, oh, I'm not, I'm not yeah. sure just yet. I know there are book plates, but it's not the same. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, by next summer where we'll, we'll, we can get back to some conventions and people can come and, uh, you know, I can do readings. I can, that, that's one of the things that I'm sad about is that, you know, both Craig Johnson and, and uh, Chris Bojalian had to cancel massive book tours for their upcoming releases. And I was looking forward to doing the same, man. I was looking forward to going into the bookstores and doing yeah. the readings and meeting the fans. And, you know, uh, unfortunately that's just not the world right now. Uh, but hopefully, you know, I mean, it's, it's not like a big movie where, where, you know, there's an opening weekend and then it goes away. The book's going to be on the shelves for quite a long time. And uh, maybe we can, uh, maybe we can catch up and, uh, you know, do some, do some of these events later on. That'd be great. That'd be great. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for me to step aside, maybe grab a cigar and listen to our esteemed guest, Lou Diamond Phillips with Tinderbox, Soldier of Endear. I'm going to start with uh, chapter one. The beginning of chapter one, you know, as they say, you know, begin at the beginning and continue on, you know. So here we go. Chapter one. The cracked quilt of the desert floor stretched before the soldier like a puzzle, no end, reminding him of the mosaic pattern tiles in a palace from his childhood. Everson couldn't help but note, with more than a little self-pity, that his childhood was now a world away, both physically and metaphorically. His own planet, Indira, was lush and green yet another luxury he would never take for granted again. He trudged forward on the barren rock that was the planet Mono, home of the enemy he had come to kill. The twin sons of Femera and Amali beat down on him unmercifully without the considerate benefit of a single plow. The heat intensified the throbbing pain in his head, as if his temples were pumping boiling blood through the veins in his cranium. He hadn't seen it coming, but he suspected that the errant hoof of a flyby burden had struck him solidly in the head, sending him into blackness. 
as a silver lining, and in spite of the monstrous headache he now endured, he was sure that being rendered unconscious had probably saved his life. At the moment of impact, he had, after all, been involved in mortal hand-to-hand -hand combat. Everson turned and looked back toward the Grand Schism, where the Indians, his people, had landed to begin, in his mind, their unwarranted invasion. There was only the singular line of his footsteps, a reminder of the many missteps he had taken in his young life to bring him here in the middle of nowhere. He had no idea where he was going, and perhaps it was high time to formulate a plan. He half hoped to be discovered and safe in the brutal heat. However, the other half dreaded the treatment he would receive. He would certainly be recognized as an enemy soldier with his swarthy skin and full battle gear, that is, if he wasn't simply killed on sight. This thought irritated him more than frightened him, especially since he hadn't willingly chosen this path for himself, the path of a soldier. No, that was someone else's idea. And so resentment fueled Everson's feet methodically toward a dubious future where even death would be a vindication. Not that it would change anything about his current predicament, but it gave Everson a smidgen of satisfaction to think that he had been right that the battle should never have happened. With the plodding detail of placing one foot in front of the other, Everson recalled the pre-battle preparations until he suddenly remembered the life-giving hydrates he was carrying. Feverishly, his fingers fumbled with the clasp of the pouch attached to his utility belt. He finally wrestled it open and plucked a small, wrinkled, egg-shaped pod from the dozen or so packed inside. The plant from which the hydrate came grew in terrain much like this near the Asunder Chasm, and dear as equivalent of the Grand Schism, where volcanic activity and ground-splitting tremors were the norm. Everson brought the pod to his face, his hand trembling with anticipation. His jaw worked as if he were praying under his breath, but he was actually trying to produce a mouthful of spit. Nothing came. All he felt in his mouth was his parched lump of a tongue. He sighed in frustration, thought for a brief moment, and glanced all around him at the featureless desert. There was no sign of a living thing anywhere. Without further hesitation, he set the hydrate on the ground and unbuttoned his fly. As he waited for a reticent bladder, Everson remembered his childhood and how his mother would bring out hydrates just to delight him and his friends. There had been squeals of laughter at the transformation, at the progressive wump of expansion when the hydrates had been dribbled with liquid. Presently, his anticipation was perhaps even greater than it was when he had been five. He danced a little in place as if to move things along. A few errant drops of urine hit the dusty ground and were absorbed immediately. Everson adjusted his aim until a feeble stream hit the pod. He jumped back a bit when the hydrate expanded violently with a sudden, wet, cracking thump that split the silent air. It wobbled before him on the cracked desert floor, a little larger now than the size of his head. Everson quickly secured his pants and drew the heavy broadsword that he had reclaimed from a fallen comrade. He brought the blade down hard, and the hydrate split with a juicy crack. Then he buried his face in it. The spongy pulp disintegrated in his mouth as he practically inhaled the contents, stopping only when his nose hit the solid rind. Dropping the drained husk, he stood for a moment, breathing heavily. He consumed the second half with far less urgency, savoring the green coolness of each swallow as it flowed down his throat. Everson squeezed the remaining pulp over his head and let it run down the nape of his neck and trickle down the crease of his spine. Temporarily quenched, Everson took a moment to close his eyes. He couldn't shut out the alien world, its suns glowing orange through his closed lids. That glare was truth. It was reality. Once again, his mind drifted back to the pre-battle preparations, to the strategic checklist that seemed so simple to achieve. Though Everson had never so much as lifted a finger in battle, he knew in his heart that wars were not so easily won. 
All right, that was Lou Diamond Phillips reading a sample chapter from his debut novel, Tinderbox, Soldier of Indira. Oh my gosh, I'm loving the book myself. I, I got an arc of it, but uh, the book's coming out in just two days, so you're going to be able to pick up a copy for yourself, and I highly recommend it. And what a great guy. I just, I really enjoyed speaking with him. Hey, click that link in the show notes so you can pre-order a copy for yourself right now and follow everything else about Lou. Links in there for his wife and her art, which is amazing. The links in the show notes also for our podcast friends and sponsors alike. And hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out here in a couple of days when we're back with return guest from Australia, Liz Butcher. Take care, everybody. We'll see you again real soon. This has been a presentation of the Project Entertainment Network.